What I really love specifically about the sourdough community is that uh, we all seem to always still be in awe and wonder, you know, that this is even happening. And, and I love that because it can get often so heady and so scientific and so precise and all of that's awesome and really cool that we have that. But at the end of the day, like what I like to think really like seems to unite us is like our oldest science, which is just like freaking magic. <laughs> so, I mean, at least that's how I always feel when I make bread. It's magic. This is the Sourdough Podcast, the show about the innovators, leaders, and creative trailblazers in the sourdough community and the stories behind the bread. On this episode, Rose Lawrence, baker, chef, and owner of Red Bread, joins me from her home in Los Angeles. Rose reflects on her beginnings as a cottage food baker in Venice, California, and how the artisan bread movement has changed since the passage of the California Homemade Food Act, a law which she played an active role in bringing about. She gives advice and resources for home bakers looking to take the leap to becoming a cottage food operator and shares her fermentation mantra for anyone out there feeling a little overwhelmed on their sourdough journey. Don't forget to stay tuned at the end of the episode for new music from Weston Perry. Also, remember, if you want to find out more about the podcast, hear previous episodes, or find links to my guests' websites, books, bakeries, and other projects, be sure to check out our website at thesourdoughpodcast.com. While you're there, visit the contact page and send me an email with your sourdough questions. I'll try to pick one or two questions per episode and submit them to our guest on air. Also, don't forget to follow along on Instagram and be sure to share your best loves with hashtag sourdoughpodcast or tag me and I'll repost my favorites. We need your support, so if you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Now, back to my conversation with Rose Lawrence. Well, hello, Sourdough community, and thanks for joining me today. I'm delighted to be speaking with baker chef Rose Rosie Lawrence. Uh, Rose is founder of Red Bread and a teacher at the Gormandese School in Santa Monica, California. Rosie has worked and collaborated with uh, many well-known bakers and chefs from around the country and has been featured on shows and publications like The Splendid Table, Cooking Channel, LA Times, The Hallmark Channel, uh, just to name a few. Uh, Rosie, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I've been um, really pumped to uh, be here. I, I love the show so far, and it's fun to be a guest. Oh, I can't wait to get started. Um, what I want to start with is a little message I received um, from a listener, someone I follow online. I won't say who, but it read, Hey, buddy, I think uh, Rose Lawrence would be an amazing guest on your next show. She's worked as a home baker, had her brick-and-mortar bakery called Red Bread, uh, then started working at LA's first urban mill, Griston Toll. She's also a teacher at the Gormandy School in LA and is now a very respected pastry chef. She has a great sense of humor and I think a radio, a great radio podcast voice. Uh, he, this guy, he went on to say, uh, this, <laughs> she is a pioneer in the CFO uh, businesses, uh, cottage food operation businesses, a, a pastry innovator. Uh, plain and simple, she is a badass baking chick. And I'm like, all right, I, I've got to meet her. 
I mean, I feel like I was just sort of graced with hearing my eulogy or something. <laughs> you're not you're not supposed to hear such nice things while you're alive. I am I am I am I'm thoroughly flattered and and so appreciative of that review. Well, you clearly have some fans out there and um I'm excited to kind of hear your story. Do you think you could start us off kind of by telling us about yourself, um, where you're from, and how your sourdough journey, as we like to call it on the podcast, uh, how that began? Yeah. Um, so I have been baking professionally, at least for the last 10 years. And for me, it all started with sourdough. Uh, but I think that when you uh, find yourself with bread, you find out the story is always much older mm-hmm. than your moment. And uh, I, I made my first loaf. And I mean, the minute I mixed with the flour and the water, uh, I, I was just like, oh, well. I'm definitely going to be doing this again. (laughs) It just felt so good. It like, I didn't even care if it came out. It was just so joyful. And that seemed like such a treasure. Uh, And I was so drawn to sourdough because it seemed like everything else, every other recipe that I I wanted to do, like I needed to go get something, (laughs) but this was like nothing. I was like, okay. Uh, And then I, I made one loaf and then I made 13 loaves and then I made 64 loaves. Uh, I mean, it just like multiplied and very soon I was going to be like that. Um, there's some fairy tale about some woman who like bakes herself out of a sh- her home or something or a shoe. Um, <laughs> um, so I was definitely going to be that person. And that's kind of when I started Red Bread. So when, when, it really, when was this? this was in, um, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a real career change for me because, uh, the same year I had just graduated from law school. Yes. I, th- I read something about this. Yeah. And, uh, I had been really focused on, uh, international human rights law and I've been, uh, working a lot with diplomacy and, uh, different, uh, domestic laws in foreign countries, mainly that women and children. And, uh, I, I had also always been baking and, uh, and when I, when I graduated, I needed a break. And also I was confronting some personal health issues and, uh, like I think pretty much every single person who's visited a doctor in the last 10 years, I was told to like not eat bread. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh-huh. Um, and I had... And so you decided to start a bakery. Yeah, well, I decided <laughs> to find out exactly, well, what is bread? Because yeah. I had been trained to be extremely curious and well-read. And so confronted with what I thought of as a term of art, uh-huh. bread... Yeah. I would like to know what our definition was before I decided I'm giving this up. And and most of that stemmed from the fact that in uh, America, I, I just didn't eat bread because I didn't think it tasted like much. You know, that's mm-hmm. not that's not really thought. But I had grown up in Ecuador where bread was two of your three meals a day. And I have had the wonderful opportunity in college and of my own accord afterwards to travel to countries in Europe and to stay in Tibet for an extended time. And all of these countries have uh, grains and breads as their base. And they were the majority of your meals every day. And and I'd never felt better. And somehow I was ill here from something I wasn't eating. So 
I was going to find out what this was. Yes, put and, your, uh, your law degree to use. Yeah, exactly. I was going to lawyer that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so the minute I found out that basically we as a country don't agree with the rest of the world about what bread is, uh, I tried to find, I tried to replicate it because I couldn't find it here. And at the time, no one was doing any like whole grain, fully naturally leavened sourdough. Like there's mm. so many here in LA now and in the country. And it's been like such a thrill to see this just like explode. I mean, even though it's still communities and it's still people like that's how strong things are built by like yeah. these pockets of passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I didn't have anywhere to go. So I made my own. So I wonder if I had found a good place, if I would just become a great, um, advocate instead of an activist but left left with no other choice I had to make it and it ended up being amazing and then all these things came out of the woodwork you know like I had my mother visit me when we uh, first opened the brick and mortar which was a wild ride we opened through uh, funding with a kickstarter a crowd campaign that we did um which, you know if you want to lose five years off your life and gain a lot of gray hair like <laughs> that's for you <laughs> Um, yeah well I mean just do it through crowdfunding (laughs) just like all to the last minute like oh oh my god Um, but wonderful community we're so grateful that happened for us Uh, but when we when we started that uh, that's when we started to do a lot of um, the uh, well I had my mother in and I told her how to make bread and I was so like proud of myself and then after I was done she told me all about how she'd been making bread long before I was born (laughs) really and that like some of her you're not that special yeah Yeah. she was like wow I'm so glad I can finally tell you what I know (laughs) and then uh and then she like told me about how like some of her earliest memories coming home from school was like her dad who was a lawyer who would be baking bread and he'd be like don't open the oven you know and I was like why didn't I know this uh a long time ago you know I was doomed no matter what I tried to do this was always going to be the thing you know I'm just the only they all had other careers and did this in the secret. So I'm like, I'm the one who's doing it in public. So I hope that's, I hope it's cool that I'm out in the open. Um, but just like, that's what I mean. Like it's, I think that bread is what I love about bread. It's its ability to like unite everyone. Yeah. It, it's like the most basic thing. There's a reason we have all these phrases for it and it's connected mm. to like life and you know, every language has a word for it, which is how we ended up at the name for red bread, which was we were looking for something that like, no matter what language you spoke, like you, the color mm. and the word, and it would just, we were hoping it would seem like it had always been, um, which I think we, we pulled off. I hope, I mean, people like the bread and that was really what yeah. mattered. Yeah. So, so that's kind of how it all like started and tumbled. And, and since I'd come from this background of, of like law and service and, and capacity development on an international scale, I just applied those things locally. So when we were baking, I was teaching after hours or at local community centers. Most of our initial employees and the ones we had for the longest, we hired through uh, rehabilitation centers who were with, you know, people trying to get a, a second chance in life because I, I come from that kind of background myself, like in terms of my uh, extended family. And, you know, it's, it's just a couple of bad days for most people, you know? And, and I think that, you should always, you should never undervalue people's capacity or interest when they're engaged. Um, so we did that and we've always and what, had What it. community did this um, start in? 
What part uh, of LA? So we launched in Venice, which just happened to be where we were. So we launched by, we had a uh, electric bicycle and we were delivering door to door. It was a loaf of um, whole grain uh, sourdough bread uh, and we had a roasted garlic one. And then we oh, had yeah. this uh, oatmeal um, chocolate chip uh, whole grain cookie that was just like loaded with cinnamon um, that really hit it off. And so like it was a, it was a cookie and bread. So I was out to, I was out to kill you. <laughs> yes. The foundations I, of, uh, of life. Yeah. I, the things <laughs> that make you happy yes. and the things that like feed you too. And, you know, and, and I think, Oh, I've always, I've come to be known for these like robustly, um, nutty and highly spiced and sweet, salty things because I am pretty sensitive to sugar myself. And the more like pastry chefs that I meet that I really admire, it's a similar vibe, which, which makes sense. You know, we're eating sugar all day, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I think this makes the uh, desserts more well-balanced and flavorful. And, and I'm just so attached to grains because, uh, I've been exposed just through my life to so many. And, and one of the things I found out from my mother also, well, I mean, I remember this, but I was so small was my parents ran um, a small restaurant and they had all these like alternative grades anyway. And this was back in like the late seventies. So they were like full blown hippies. So you, so you really grew up with food, you know, all around yeah, you. Yeah, but like I like largely rejected it because, uh, you know, in the cafeteria, no one wanted my quinoa pudding for their snacks. <laughs> so yeah. That was a bummer. Um, but like now it's, you know, it's really cool. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool to enjoy good food now, which is not always been the case. Well, I think it's a different, I, I'd like to think it's a different conversation. You know, before I think the whole conversation was about this is healthy for you. And I'd like to think they're having a more nuanced conversation of like, uh, it's not that we should eat this. It's that it's delicious. If we just know a little bit more, if we pay a little more attention, if we if we let it sing on its own, uh, just like we do any kind of different vegetable or different produce, if we go for flavor, which has always been the king, then 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 we don't have to sit there and be like, well, it's really good for you and it's really good for your farmer and it's really good for your community. All true. But really, at the end of the day, it's the bonus because it's, it, it's what's in your mouth. <laughs> Well, yeah, and then you start to talk about the flavor, and then you start to ask, like, where is my flour coming from? And you just get more in touch with every level of the operation at every at every stage. You know who your uh, farmer is, and you know where your, your mill is. And uh, I think it really adds to interest, and in, you're going to be more interested in your food if you know where it's coming from and how it was made and what it was made with and, and who's making it. I completely agree. Like our narratives, they feed us so much and and it adds richness because you see the value and you know what's going on. And that's always been something that uh, we want to hear stories. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Red Bread, it, it started in Venice. You're on the bikes. I think all good bakery stories, uh, sourdough stories start with um, bike deliveries. A lot of them do. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's a general vibe of people being like concerned for the planet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and just being able, you know, servicing your community. Um, Doing it with the little. people around you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so did you go straight from bike delivery to... Um, the crowdsourcing for your bakery or were there steps in between? 
Uh, so we, no, there was definitely steps in between. There were many, many steps in between. <laughs> it's like a real glassed over version. Um, you know, so we had this bike delivery and we, we were able to convince a couple cafes who we could have them taste that like, this was great and we could mm. deliver. And, you know, we were hesitant to overload ourselves because that's always like scary. You know, you want to, people forget about consistency. I think when they're excited about baking, it's like, if you want to be a baker, don't make a different pie every day. Make the same pie for two months straight. See if you still want to be a baker. <laughs> it's a good test. Um, it's the repetition that's like the, that the beauty is in or the craft is in. Um, but we, we did that initially. And um, at the time, the cottage food law wasn't in place. Uh, so yeah, it was it's, it's pretty new California. here in California. Yeah. Relatively. Um, relatively new it's it's getting older and it's more established now um and sharing commercial kitchen spaces were technically illegal also um we great, got gray area yeah i mean you're really forcing me to come clean out <laughs> um so uh, this was a long time ago um but we basically had like a, te- a a shared food facility plan and and the law caught up to us very quickly mm. um and we were uh we helped well we i helped with the labb the los angeles bread bakers uh did a huge push with mark stambler to get the cottage food law written through the uh, sustainable economic center up in northern california and i did a little work back and forth with him on that as well wow. um, by the time that got passed though we had uh, thankfully, um, surpassed sort of the initial limit for a cottage food operation. Wow. Uh, and we were sharing the kitchen full time and we were at the farmer's market. Um, so we just, uh, you know, we, again, we were sort of right ahead of, um, a big curve that mm-hmm. I like to help. I, I like to hope that we helped build because of those reasons. Um, and it was really fun to see more people pop up and, the minute the cottage food industry like uh, permits got passed, it was like so many people got on the market and suddenly there was so much great bread flooding wow. Los Angeles. And I think to this, to this day, I still think the uh, bread is the best here in LA. And I mean, I've eaten in a lot of places and there's great bread mm-hmm. now. Now I can say that about this country. It's really exciting. And I want to see exciting. more, but here in Los Angeles is particularly good. Um, but yeah, so we just kind of stayed one step above, but it was never, you know, like my intention from the start. And I told my business partners, we also joined was like, I really am not interested necessarily in making every loaf of bread Los Angeles ever eats. I want <laughs> this to become the default. Like if I can put enough pressure on everyone else to use these whole grains that are just still witch food right now, <laughs> <laughs> then then I'd be happy. And, and, and now, like I said, there's, there's so many and, you know, Nan, Nan Kohler, who's like an angel from heaven in terms of like what I can and can't do in my bakery with whole grains and, and, and my capacity as a pastry chef at these restaurants I worked at the last couple of years um, is, is just wildly different because uh, having a mill, connecting with the miller, honoring that craft, having that uh, gentleness to break down this incredible uh, source of food so beautifully, finely that I can use it without needing to sift it and still get this beautiful, tender product. It was not possible when I started. So there were so many things that like, I think that, um, you know, I always think, 
I, I'm guilty of like, if someone says loud enough around me, like, well, you can't do that. I'm like, tell me more. We'll see about that. <laughs> so, um, but I even felt guilty to some things in the beginning where I was like, oh, well, I guess with whole grains, you can't make that happen. And, and that's when I suddenly learned about the beauty of the mill. It was just mm. like, no, I can't. I can't with what commercially I'm being offered as roller mill yeah. whole wheat that isn't whole and the brand is large. And it's like, it's a totally different world stone milling. And and if I can support that, and if I can deliver a much better product, like again, put it in your mouth, then, then I hope everyone else gets on board. And there's so like, I mean, it's so wild to say this because there's also like not that many mills, but I want to say like, there's so many mills in this country now. Like there's Barton Springs in Texas and there's Cape, um, and there's uh, Anson Mills and there's Griston Toll. And like every region has a mill. Like if you just reach out to, and I feel like people still don't understand that like that's available to them. So well, so, yeah, I'm, I'm so, waiting for one to get yeah, I'm waiting for one to get a little bit closer up here to Central uh, Central California. Um, but yeah, it's exciting to kind of see that. We've had that conversation a few times um, on this on this podcast about um, you know the whole kind of learning curve that there is go, that goes with you know um, being exposed to new products like whole grain products and you know it just in bakers as well as like the general public, you know, have to kind of relearn sometimes how to use these products that they've never been exposed to because they don't oh, absolutely exactly like, you know, grandma's recipe with, you know, AP, this type of AP flour might've worked. Um, so yeah, that's this, it's a, uh, you know, you, you, but that's, you know, people like you are out there and they're educating people on how to use these things and, and the benefits of using them and, uh, just continues to grow and grow and grow. Well, I think you use a, a great word there too, like relearn, because I think that um, when I am teaching people, like it's never like something like some new secret of like how to make this work wonderfully. It's it's the same things you had to learn like the first time you really like paid attention and baked, which is mm. to pay attention and watch yes. and take notes. Because at the end of the day, what we're talking about, certainly when we're talking about whole grains, um, when you're using the varietal itself, either at a hundred or a percentage or in a mix, like whatever it is, um, it, it is the majority of any baked good, <laughs> the flour. So it will change it. But um, if you keep in mind the abstract goal, like a cookie, for instance, like, you know, if you've baked enough cookies with AP flour, you know what a cookie dough texture should look like so if you just stop while you're using a whole grain and adjust for that you will quickly unlock that grain's potential there but you will have to do it again next year because the grain is seasonal and it does change and it matters so have to start thinking that you are working with produce and that there is, uh, that, 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 that that's why this technique and these like uh, ratios are our friends again, because it's just a matter of adding this like wild card. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, so back to Red Bread, you start as a, the bike delivery, you kind of um, didn't just jump straight into the brick and mortar. Um, you kind of did the pop up scene for a while. 
we did a couple pop-ups. We got approved for the farmer's market. Um, and, but pretty quickly from there, we were there like probably six months and we were selling out every day very, very quickly, uh, which emboldened us to launch the Kickstarter campaign and do the brick and mortar. Uh, we opened that and we ended up having that open for just under three years. We closed it and... Um, I went up north and studied some whole animal butchery and we relaunched Red Bread trying to uh, sell bread nationally. Yeah. So can you tell me how Red Bread, the idea, the kind of your vision for Red Bread kind of evolved over the years? Like looking back and kind of reading up on 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 Red Bread, I can kind of see, see this big evolution of, of, kind of, you know, no longer brick and mortar, but you now you're like selling your products nationally. How do you describe that evolutionary process? And, um, and where do you kind of see or want bread, Red Bread to be going in the future? Well, I mean, I think, uh, I think that there is like, I mean, I want to measure some of that because words like nationally sound really sexy, but it's still a couple orders here and there. It mainly depends on what we uh, market and, um, you know, keeping products innovative or doing things around the holidays. And primarily, I uh, use it to do consulting services mm-hmm. for other restaurants and bakeries, or I do a lot of private events, private parties, and wedding catering. So it, it's become a, a vehicle basically to do a lot of food work. Uh, we've maintained the same commitments. You know, I try to work very closely with, uh, well, we always work very close with farmers in our community and uh, staffing in our community. We always give back to an organization. Um, uh, the Los Angeles Food Bank has been our longest partner in that. But seasonally, we always consider things or projects we're going to uh, sort of collaborate with. Um, uh, you know, it's certainly a journey that would not have been possible without the information age and the tools, yes. the needed tools available. And I, I think that, uh, again, I, uh, we, my goal was always to make a great product because I was told it couldn't be done. And I wanted it. So I committed myself to it. And, and then I was largely along for the ride because if people needed bread this badly, like I should keep making it, you know, <sighs> yeah. like that made sense. Um, isn't that, so, isn't that an interesting aspect? I, we talked about this on my last episode, how kind of the information age is really unified, you know, cause I feel like bread has uh, come and gone in waves of interest over the decades. And, but the most recent one I'd say you know, really has been unified by this uh, ability to access information online and, and videos and how-to videos and uh, connecting personally with bakers via uh, social media. Um, how has that kind of played a role in in your career? Uh, I mean, it's uh, been everything. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, I'm not generally... I mean, I remember when I was first introduced to like Instagram, which because it's the visual medium, I think it plays the biggest role for food because we eat with our eyes a large part. So um, I I was like, oh, I don't know about this. This seems like weird. And I wasn't into it. I was like, why would you want to share your photos with everybody? And I, I think I quickly came around. Um, but uh, I... 
it is how I've connected with everyone. It's how we let customers know where we are, especially since we did the pop-up thing. And, and you know, it, the cost of real estate is high wherever you are. But if you're in a city like Los Angeles where you stand a chance to maybe like pop and get some attention and, and, and hopefully get sustainable fast because, you know, opening a business is risky. Uh, is risky. Um, <laughs> that that's a huge hurdle. So like uh, things like Instagram and having a blog and just being open with information can quickly connect you to a lot of people that can be helpful that you can be helpful to, um, and lets people know where to find you, which is so difficult when you're starting out. Um, and it continues to develop for me. Like now I use it primarily to connect with, uh, mostly other female bakers, um, uh, because I'm very interested in building a, a strong voice for them in the industry that uh, since I'm currently still working professionally in restaurants um, and uh, it's wonderful the camaraderie and uh, different ideas and uh, you know I think that some people can get scared about sharing things but the more we all operate from this sense of abundance the more abundance there will be so I'm a, I'm a big fan and you know pictures are pretty <laughs> you never bake for yourself like even if you're just a home baker like I really want to I really want to give this cookie to someone <laughs> you know it's never just for you yes. half the fun is sharing I think that's that's what I've always deeply loved about baking well and that again I think that's describes our sourdough community as well just that desire to share with everybody share information share pictures share the actual bread and knowledge yeah well i think we're all still like what i really love specifically about the sourdough community is that uh we all seem to always still be in awe and wonder you know that this is even happening and and i love that because it can get often so heady and so scientific and so precise and all of that's awesome and really cool that we have that. But at the end of the day, like what I like to think really like seems to unite us is like our oldest science, which is just like freaking magic. <laughs> so, I mean, at least that's how I always it feel. It is magic. It's magic. Well, um, Rosie, you also work as a teacher at the Gormandy School in Santa Monica. How long have you been doing that? And what do you teach there? Um, so I have been doing that um, on and off uh, for quite some time, actually, several years now. Uh, God, I'm always bad with dates. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I teach there much more now. Um, I primarily teach a lot of the pastry classes and basically anything with carbs. So, <laughs> You're a carb teacher. Breads, pastas. Well, there's a couple of us. We're a great coalition, um, but I, I definitely lend a hand there. And then um, oftentimes I will do some of the more savory courses in the evening um, since I read bread, I was also the chef. So I have training in that as well. Um, and I'll cover some preserves and classes and some professional classes. So I, I jump around and do a couple things. What's your favorite part about teaching? Um, I really like, uh, I really like seeing people like get something like that moment when they mm. like have a success is, is really 
addictive. Um, and my classes, I always like to try and tell people these narratives, not only about their food, but their history and some of the science. And, you know, even if people don't have a, a background in that, or that doesn't speak to their inner nerd, it's good party conversation the next time they're making this at home. Like, you know, and it's, uh, it's always fun to just sort of spend some time with people because, you know, I think the the thing about going to a class to learn how to cook something is like, unlike anything else you might go to a class for, you want to eat this at the end of it. Yeah. So, like, it's all about having like a good time, right? Like, I wish people had more dinner parties. So for me, it's it's definitely the people. Because like, you know, it's we always have, we have beginners, we have people wanting to finesse and like, there's different results all around. But at the end of the day, if we all sit down and eat, it's always... Yeah. And you get to share a meal with people you didn't know at the beginning beginning of the day. And then some people will ask questions that like I never even considered. And it's so fun to be stumped. Like I I love questions. Did you always, um, is teaching something you always thought you'd want to do? Or did you just kind of stumble into this career path? Uh, I think that uh, I have often ended up uh, leading things. Um, and I find that I really enjoy teaching. So I I think it's a little bit, a little bit of both. Um, but, uh, I've, uh, in college, most of my summer jobs involved teaching like toddlers, nature skills, or like children, how to ice skate. So I have (laughs) an illustrious career teaching. (laughs) It makes sense that I would now teach adults how to use knives and children. <laughs> I teach a lot of the children's classes, which are a lot of fun. I bet. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I kind of I kind of found myself here. But uh, my my dad was a teacher, and my mom was a teacher. Like uh, my parents were a lot of things. So I think that like it never um, occurred to me that I had to be like one thing or set my heart on one thing I I thankfully was encouraged a lot to just um whatever I was interested in I should just try my best to be excellent at it so so it sounds like teaching has been something that's kind of expressed itself in in all the areas of your life and certainly all the different uh jobs that you've done to some yeah I mean I definitely like having conversations where information is shared so I think mm-hmm. this is always going to be in my future and I'm so I again I, I'm just mostly grateful for the opportunity because it's a really beautiful school and the owner is so knowledgeable herself uh, and she's a great friend of mine so it's a great place and if you were in Los Angeles she's absolutely come take a class I'd love to someday definitely um, so Rose you were you were most recently in Chicago um, talking about bringing our conversation kind of back to kind of community and um you've you seem to always be collaborating on exciting and delicious projects what were you most recently doing in chicago um well thank you for saying that um i i was in chicago to collaborate with this wonderful restaurant called cellar door provisions um and we had connected through Instagram, actually. Uh, I uh, I didn't tell them this until I was already there because I didn't want to fangirl too hard out on them. But I had, I had come there like three years before and eaten there and just adored it and been such a, such a huge supporter of the preservation they do there and the wonderful seasonality they do there. And then most recently when I was working as the pastry chef at Rustic Canyon, uh, they were very... Um, 
they were very flattering about family meals that I would put up, um, different savory dishes that I would do. So, uh, and I really love the idea of family meal that you, you feed your own team in mm. the industry. And I'm, I'm so fascinated about how different restaurants handle family meal. And I, you know, I think that it cannot be argued that I went a little nuts and like did multiple courses and I got very thematic. And, uh, anyway, so we started having a fun little conversation and, uh, uh, we uh, naturally a collaboration idea grew out of, uh, our sort of mutual love for different kinds of pastries and vegetables and preservation. And we were able to put that together in January of this year. And it was, uh, it was so wonderful. It was a beautiful kitchen, some really talented people there. There's some, uh, I mean, I felt like a kid at a candy store. I was like looking at their dry goods and looking at the different ferments and they make a great bread there. And, you know, at this point I'm, pretty judgmental <laughs> but it's so good we, like, we are a little bit yeah we all have all to be us. right like yeah. if we're this is a safe circle to be like that isn't good it's no good. no judgment yeah they have incredible bread that's holding forage in there they're just doing really beautiful stuff and um i i was so happy to spend a couple of days there it was really really cool so uh yeah and collaboration it's 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 a wonderful experience because uh food is about exchange right and mm. it's so nice to just like talk to people about like what do you do with this and what do you do with this and i've solved this we both encountered this problem but due to different circumstances we've solved it a different way and it's 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 always nice to do that, whether or not you're doing that uh, in a way that's like, you know, a totally different culture or a different city. And I really crave that as a way to um, like be inspired, but also, you know, it's sharing. It's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, it, it looked like a really fun and delicious trip. I always, that's like my favorite part of uh, Instagram these days is just kind of living vicariously through all my different f- people that I follow their, their food travels. And uh, that looked like a, a great trip. Um, you've also uh, collaborated with uh, Sarah Owens and uh, I'm trying desperately to get her to come on the podcast. We've, we've chatted a, a little bit, um, but uh what, what did you do with Sarah? Sarah and I did a, she's a doll. I love her so much. Um, Sarah and I did this. Um, she's in uh, Oaxaca right now. And I'm like, just so Yeah. I mean, she's travels. always doing something colorful. What a sweetheart. Um, we did a pop-up in New York uh, in 2017, uh, I think. Ugh. Again, the date. Again, the date. I'm going to write these things down for the future. Sorry, chef. Um, <laughs> uh, so we did this pop-up in New York through uh, a mute. Uh, she had a, a, a restaurant uh, contact that she'd used before in Chelsea. At Kosaka it was a really gorgeous sushi restaurant that let us use their bar to do like a 14C two-night pop-up. Um, and Sarah had just been in Lebanon um, helping with uh, a bakery there and a nonprofit. Um, And I had been doing a lot of work with a local um, teacher here, uh, learning how to make noodles and uh, specifically Japanese noodles and miso and doing a lot of uh, produce preservation uh, through traditional Japanese techniques uh, just for my own interest. And uh, we were just corresponding prior to planning this pop-up. And uh, 
she would tell me what she was working with and I would tell her what I, I was working with. And I started to see so many things that were so similar between these two cultures that involved, um, Lots of uh, fermented items on the table at once. Lots of uh, bases that then you sort of picked and built your own. You know, it wasn't structured the same way as Americans eat, like a protein and two sides, you know. So uh, I we started talking about how like, oh, this could easily be this if we just switch the protein. This could easily be this. And that's how the pop-up sort of started. And we were like, well, it's kind of wild, but <laughs> would you want to blend Lebanese and Japanese <laughs> And it, I mean, I think it. I mean, that's was, been done to it, death, it, right, Rosie? Well, it was neither. No. I mean, I, <laughs> no, guess, I guess, I don't know. I mean, no. it was really like neither, but it felt good. And what we were really trying to do is just like, you know, if this is like, if we found ourselves in a world where this is what we had and these were the techniques we knew, like, this is what would come out of it. So uh, we made a bunch of pickles, we made a bunch of bread, we made. Um, I made a bunch of uh, ramen noodles with 100% whole grain and uh, we did like a lamb awarma and then we made this wow. like purple barley ice milk. So every course was also based on a grain because we wanted to get across that again, like if you were eating pretty much anywhere else in the world, except America and to a lesser extent, a Western based country, uh, you would be eating bread the majority of the day. <laughs> Well, I think that's such another another interesting part about this whole, you know, cross-cultural um, comparison you did is that, you know, if you go back, you know, fer fermentation is really kind of foreign and scary to, I think, uh, our culture in a lot of ways, just because we haven't been exposed to it or we, we think we haven't been exposed to it for such a long time. Um, but yeah, when you, when you kind of start looking, Yeah, but when you start going back maybe a few generations or just get out of the U.S., go to a different culture, you start seeing like fermentation is just everywhere and, you know, and they, it, it, it's different, but it's the same at the same time. It sounds like that's something you guys really hit on with this. Yeah, I think it, it, it's, it's different, but it's the same. The rules are the same because the chemistry is the same. And so often when people are overwhelmed with sourdough fermentation, uh, I try to kind of, again, step back away from the specifics and go back into magic and just remind them like, it's all the same cultures. They're just in different populations, depending on what you're feeding them. Mm -hmm. And they want to be alive. <laughs> so like, you're just sort of helping and it's the same rules because it's the same planet. And it, it's almost become like that short little speech has almost become a mantra I give to every class. And I just watch these like shoulders lower and I hear this gentle breath come out. And, and that was fully my intention because I think we can often get ourselves so stressed out. And you're right, it's like, it's the same, same. It's all the same, same. And I think that we start to relearn things faster the more we start seeing like how much we kind of already know if we just trust ourselves more. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, Rosie, you, you mentioned that you work with the, the LA Food Bank and and kind of talk about your your former life as a, a law student um, and that path you were on for a while, but it seems like it's still something that you connect with and, and, and want to uh, actively be engaged with, and you do that through... Uh, you work with uh, food justice and in, in, in those types of projects, um, like the, the LA Food Bank. Um, 
can you tell us a little bit more about the organizations or projects you've worked on um, and why food justice is important to you and your business? Yeah. Um, so we uh, organized early uh, with the intention of becoming a B Corp, um, which is still underway. <laughs> but uh, basically that sets you up so that like giving some sort of like community aspect is integrated into your bylaws. And that, you know, is, is a little heady, but mattered to me. So um, we have always given about 5% of all of our sales uh quarterly, yearly, depending on when we could make it happen as a growing business to the Los Angeles Food Bank. So we've been able to help them in their mission to feed Los Angeles. When we've gone to other cities, it's just a personal initiative that uh, an event that we do there, whatever is earned, we give to that local community. So any city I go to, I try to find some place that we can connect with. Um, And this is really just sort of from again, uh, how personally I was raised that like, if you're taking from a community, then you have to give back to it. And this seems to be, you know, once we've solved the, uh, using local food and compostable things and recycling, like I need to give back to the human factor. So if I'm taking like human labor, I want to give back human labor in, in that way. Um, so if I'm feeding people, then I should try and feed the most people. So that's how that was born. Um, and we started teaching classes, uh, preservation, uh, making sourdough. Like this is not only empowering because you can now feed yourself with very little ingredients, but it is, it is so incredibly empowering to feed yourself that it tends to bleed out into other things. Like it, it is a skill that builds confidence quickly beyond the kitchen. I feel strongly. Um, and we, uh, I taught for a long time, a class at Redbed and we had a brick and mortar and I've subsequently revived it at a, a couple different um, organizations or uh, made it available in different forms, which we called food justice, which is, you know, sort of a, a term, I guess, that can be defined uh, many ways, but kind of goes back to when I was getting back in terms of giving back to the human factor. Uh, and I think that there is so much fear surrounding food. Um, uh, what does all these terms mean? Local, organic, heirloom, heritage, ancient, like it's it's just so much. And it wouldn't be such a headache if we didn't want to be able to navigate it. And a lot of this is unregulated. A lot of us haven't agreed upon it, uh, but, but there are ways to navigate it. So a lot of the class that I taught was aimed at uh, teaching people how these are largely defined, how people use them, what's marketing, what's tied to fact, um, what uh, what can what like uh, businesses in your community are using these things? How to hold those conversations? We would also talk larger scale about like what uh, local and federal laws were coming up that people could vote on. What your vote would mean? <laughs> we would talk about the supermarket and like you know, sort of the fallacy of choice where there's really six companies making all those things. Mm. And like, still, how do you navigate that? Because your finances limit your power out there. Um, And then at the end, we would always do a preservation project. So it was uh, wide reaching and ambitious. (laughs) (laughs) And and I, you know, anyway. Well, um, I got to aim high, you know. Yeah. That's that's kind of type of thing that, you know, if you aim high, you're not going to hurt anybody if uh, you don't accomplish everything you, you set out to do. I like uh, that. That's 
where were, where were you all these years? And I made an encouraging um, but yeah, so, so that was primarily what we did with that. And now again, I, you know, if, if there's a, if there's a cause we can support recently we did a bake sale along with a lot of other businesses in ta- town mm. came together for a bake sale for uh, wildfire relief and uh, the displaced um, wildlife, which was a big concern. And, and uh, you know, I'm always, I'm always looking for how I can link like, as you said, my previous, um, uh, experience in like soft power initiatives yeah. <laughs> internationally with, uh, the very, the very local, the very humble baking a loaf of bread. Yeah. And I think that's something that unifies sourdough bakers, um, especially people that want to go, you know, professional and start selling to their community and, um, set up shop whether that be like a cottage food operation or, or a brick and mortar. But I think with, what unifies us in a lot of ways, and I've seen this in lots of different examples and people I've talked with on the podcast, is that uh, you know you can go out, you can sell lots of bread, and, and you can do that well. But I think most of us are interested in, in really desire um, connection to the community and, and being able to give back. And it's not just about, you know, the bottom line, you know, in selling and making the most money with your product. Um, but you know, how are you, um, making your, your, your community better and how are you improving that? And that's the thing I think, I think so special and unique about, uh, our, our community, um, when it comes to what unifies us. Um, yeah, I think there's always been something very, um, sort of community oriented about bakers because it wasn't something that was possible without a community, right? You needed to have a large enough community to build an oven and then you could bake things. <laughs> and so it's nice to, you know, that hearth and that, that sense of like gathering and talking because you have to put something into something you can't see and, and, and have faith and talk it out like I think that Mark's bakers especially bread bakers because it was so much time (laughs) is it gonna work this is the one time it's not gonna work that's what I think every time I was like it doesn't matter how many times I've done it this this is it guys this is the one time it doesn't rise so I don't like you know if you're a beginner out there and you're having that thought it's hopefully comforting and terrifying that it never goes away (laughs) Well, yeah, I think, you know, uh, that kind of leads me to kind of the next area um, I want to talk about is your consulting services. You know, I'd love to have you in my in my corner kind of coaching me along the way, like, um, especially if I was, you know, and I don't know, maybe someday I will. I don't it's it's still very intimidating, but um, people, a lot of people um, that listen to this podcast are interested in possibly taking that next step. Uh, and starting a you know little operation of their own, selling bread in the community, and um, that's something you do as as well is offer uh, consulting services and and kind of share your experiences, which are vast um, in, in this area um, with other people. And um, you know, as I, as I mentioned at the beginning, you've, you've been described as a pioneer when it comes to the cottage food operations, and really kind of been involved with that in California since the beginning. Well, first of all, yeah. Can you describe for our listeners who might not be familiar with cottage food, what that signifies? So to a cottage food law, and it's different in every state, but it basically allows you to uh, be a small business uh, before having to adhere to all of the state-run protocols, which largely involves like having a lease 
police and being checked out by the public health department um, and uh, having retail and all these other requirements, which is a primarily a financial hurdle for most people and a large one at that. So cottage food with certain caps on your gross income allows you to turn your home into a commercial venture. And depending on whether you get at least here in California, an A class or a B class. Again, this will change whether or not you can just sell directly to consumers or you can sell wholesale to consumers and directly to consumers. But neither one allows you to cross uh, states. So if you're look, thinking about having a website and selling nationally, which is something that we did, we chose to do because we uh, started receiving so many emails from people not in the state who wanted to, who did not have access to this. And there was so many people now in LA who we thought were doing great work and who were capable of feeding their community. We were like, well, let's try this. So I've always tried to stay flexible and, and meet a need. And that's dictated a lot of the choices that I've done. Um, but cottage food industry does allow you to make a significant amount. Um, I It's uh, only certain kinds of food though mostly shelf stable so don't think you can start running like your pancake house out of your garage at least at least not in this country uh, or at least like you know on the day on the dl and let me know because i love pancakes um but uh but you can do things like bread and prepackaged baked goods and jams and uh, i think there's been some more recent updates i i don't know like the solid specifics um because most recently, a lot of the consulting I've done has been for restaurant industries, whether they're okay. getting started or amending their menus. Uh, but I still advise on these topics. Um, at, it always turns out that everyone's situation is different and laws mm-hmm. get updated mm-hmm. fairly frequently, at least keep adju- up up on adjusted. So like when I need to, I, I look these things up and I get refreshed. But part of Part of being able to to do these kinds of things and stay flexible and, and consult is, yes, keeping up on these, like, uh, less bakery-centered things. So, you know, for those people who are thinking about um, making the leap, I think that, like, it is something you can, like, the whole point of the cottage food industry law is to allow you to minimize your risk. Uh, and it's a fairly cheap permit, as I recall. Um, and the first one, the class A, which allows direct sales, it does not involve any inspection. Um, and class B, I believe it, which allows wholesale is only, um, like if there's complaints, which is sort of the same standard for a restaurant. Uh, the catch about the class B, um, which is maybe why I would advise against it, at least, you know, if you're taking this initial jump is that although wholesale sounds sexy, a lot of retail cafes do not want a wholesale account that they can't have a license on file for because for their end it's still dodgy so even though it gives you the capacity the industry has not like caught up with that you might be able to convince your local corner but your dreams of starting a wholesale business uh, may not come to fruition Um, however if you think you've got the best x or the best X, Y, and Z, like whatever is your signature thing that you love and is not out there. Like if you have a need, like I would absolutely, it's it's low cost to go for a cottage food permit A. You can try and build your brand. Um, but, you know, know that like it's, 
it's difficult uh, because um, it's repetitive uh, work on a product. So you've got to really be in love with it and want to stand behind it. There's less education to it now, but depending on where you are, a lot of your time is going to be spent explaining to people, what is bread? What is whole grain? Why does this matter? And if you are not willing to have that conversation a lot, um, you know, it's uh, when you start running your own business, it's a lot of administrative stuff that you don't think about. Like you think like, yes, I'm going to make bread every day. You will, but you will also be up until four in the morning <laughs> running your numbers and like applying to farmer's markets. And like, you know, this is not to mm. deter you, you know, because it did not deter me. I was but I think it's important to be pumped and prepared. And um, there is something really beautiful about baking and it can be really easy to get lost in the poetics, but there are some very specific when things about running a business. Yeah. And there's a lot of like, you know, I always advise people who like, you know, even who hire me for consulting, especially on this like new sort of, entering the market green scale it's just like you know i can't answer all your questions because you'll have a million and you can't afford to have me just standing over your shoulder but i will point you in the right direction to prepare yourself and and one thing if you're really considering is that like community colleges have great like intro to business courses and it'll give you the basics and like it's a lot night and day what you will what you will learn from that so yeah and, and you know feel free to reach out to me and ask questions about well that. yeah well I, I think that's, that's just an amazing service that you provide and because and i know that it it can be intimidating it, it, I, I can see why it would be intimidating to so many people um and that would just keep them from even taking that first step in that direction but um it's good to know that someone with your experience is out there and and, and has that knowledge and and his ability to, to communicate you know, what to expect. And, um, and, you know, that was really a lot of the questions I had that people wanted to ask you, Rosie, were, you know, related to, you know, uh, taking those steps. And um, right. actually, it was, let me see, uh, is Mini Chow One, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, and uh, Dam Gypsy, D A M Gypsy. Uh, they both had questions about, uh, you know, related to aspiring bakers who wanted to increase their knowledge and possibly break into the industry. And we talked a lot about, you know, like the, the cottage uh, food operation route. Uh, but just in general, you know, what would you, um, what would you say, what advice would you give or resources might you direct them to for people who are interested in taking that next step? Well, I would, I would definitely, resources are tough because I think that, I mean, there's so many bread books on the, uh, on the market. I, I'm writing one myself in like my spare time. So like, it's really about finding a voice that speaks to you because at the end of the day, no matter who you learn from or what you read, you will develop your own baking. Like that's how beautifully intuitive it can be. Um, so, you know, whatever is the good voice that resonates with you, go for it. But yep. in terms of like experiences you can go after, like, even if all you ever want is like a cottage bakery and you've figured out the numbers that like your town can support you as a baker on the hill or whatever the, the thing is, um, which is great. I would really encourage you to go to a bakery and see about doing mm. what we call the industry of stash which is basically interning and 
the reason I would recommend doing that is that even though it's going to be very different than what you will do in your home, Mm -hmm. uh, the biggest challenge that home bakers versus industry professionals, like the difference is that uh, it's, it's scale and the, the baking itself, the chemistry doesn't, you know, sometimes changes for sure, but it's more thinking about like, when can I stop something? How can I, uh, freeze it or Mm. store it? And it's beyond just putting, mixing and putting in the oven, no matter what it is. And I think that if you work a couple of days, uh, at a bakery, um, you'll learn a lot about like how systems are handled and how things are organized because at the end of the day, you know, I look back at when I was cooking in my home, you know, or, you know, not, who knows what it was. (laughs) Um, It was, I, I lost so many hours and I lost so many ingredients to just not knowing how to scale properly because your home isn't necessarily built for that. Uh, by default, you can make some very quick adjustments and it's fine, but you know, you can't know what you haven't been taught. So I would encourage to seek out some professional experience, no matter how small, because it will profoundly change what you do uh, in your home, regardless of your um, ambitions. Uh, and That's great advice, yeah. Yeah, so the word is stash. It's staged, but with some flair. And, uh, you know, go to your favorite bakery and, you know, just be enthusiastic and be like, you know, no matter what it is, I'd love to help. You know, be aware that you're probably just going to be weighing out ingredients or maybe just cutting something. But if you keep your eyes up and you remain enthusiastic, people like people like learning in, in these communities. So you will uh, learn fast and, you know, you may quickly decide like this scale is not for me and you go back home and suddenly that small business flourishes or you may figure out like oh my gosh I really love this and now you have a career opportunity um but because I get asked that question a lot it's like well how do I get started in a baker I've never done a professional before and it's like that's everybody at some point and some people are going to be like much more pumped to have a green person in the kitchen than others but like you know persistence yeah good smile I I would imagine most (laughs) most restaurants you know if someone's offering free labor even if it's you know unskilled or you know unexperienced they're still gonna take it in most you know most cases for uh, a little well, bit well i like to think everyone's being paid and that's that's generally the law these days also um <laughs> but uh there is still you know i mean it's, it's sort of a gray area uh but uh yeah i think that uh more than anything it's just that if, if you if you show up more than once uh, and you're enthusiastic, like regardless of whether you're an employer or a customer, we like happiness and reliability. Yeah. So you will, I haven't worked anywhere where I haven't been moved by someone who keeps showing up and wants to be there. Like, yes, I will let you in the back. You want to, you want to draw way out some flour. Okay. Stand there. You're going to ask me about pie while that's happening. That is fine. Because right. you are making my work more I'll fun. I'll see you tomorrow, you know? Rosie. What time should I be there? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I always need, always need help. <laughs> uh, Rosie, another question um, would be, uh, this one's from Lindsay Lippert, a little um, unrelated maybe to baking professionally. Um, but it said, she says, if you weren't a baker, what would you be? And I think there's a hint on your Instagram bio about oh, your answer. If I wasn't a baker, I'd be an astronaut. An astronaut. <laughs> what, what, what is that? Is that 
Are you serious? Have you have you looked into um, I'm always changing serious. careers? <laughs> Um, well, I, you know, before I was studying to be a lawyer, I uh, studied to be an actor and I thought, you know, my day job would be as a, a therapist. Like I studied psychology. So I, I've always been a bit of an overachiever. Uh, and I think primarily that was because I was just so interested. And as long as I was willing to, to do the work, uh, that seemed to be okay. <laughs> I was allowed to be interested in many things as long as I kept showing up. Uh-huh. So I'm still sticking to that. And then, uh, and then it became a joke. Like it was like, well, you know, most people who are my age have not had so many different careers, so many different careers. Yeah. Um, and so what's the other thing I really want to be? But this is, just sounds maybe crazy because in no way do I mean to diminish the years of study or incredible knowledge that our astronauts need to have. <laughs> but yeah, I want to be an astronaut. Well, and I, think you could I don't do know that, how that's uh... going to happen, but like if that means that I need to solve like long distance space food travel by encouraging NASA to work to ferments, I'm on board. If that is because they need a new model for jumpsuits, I am so on board. I just feel like my life choices will ultimately lead me to being an astronaut. <laughs> hey, maybe you just buy a ticket. I think it's getting pretty close to that uh, these days. You just jump on Virgin Air and uh, take it. Yeah, I think I saw something about that this morning on the news. As, as capable as I am, this is not a, normally a field in which one gets the money to buy a ticket. To <laughs> Space <stay>. tickets. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to find, I'm going to have to, uh, like all astronauts, use the power of my mind to get someone to send me into space for the good of humanity. But listen, it will be so good for humanity. <laughs> Oh, so another question, Rosie, and I'm starting to, th- this one seems kind of uh, out of um, out of left field, but I'm starting to think with your experience that it, maybe it isn't. Uh, Antigua Artisan asks, do you sing? <laughs> um, I, I do. Lawyer, I astronaut, baker. Oh, I'm singer. not so sure I'm a great singer, but I definitely give 110%, whether it's in <laughs> the shower or in the car, mostly in the car, because, I mean, I don't know what anyone else's coping mechanism is for traffic in Los Angeles <laughs> or any ma- major city, but mine is to have, like, a solid, full-out, one-man dance party oh, yeah. and sing as if, like, the whole, like, freeway is my karaoke bar, <laughs> But whether or not I am good, uh, I leave up to the judges, I well, guess. the question was just, do you sing? And so, oh, yes, constantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Rosie, I want to let you get back to your, your day. You've been very generous with your time. But I also want uh, people to know how to connect with you in L.A. and, and if you uh, have any projects you're working on. Um, any collaborations or classes um, that people can uh, attend? Um, what are some things you want people to know that you're working on currently? Uh, right now, um, I, I have a bunch of classes coming up all the time. So you should go to the Gourmandi School's website. Uh, Gourmandi's LA uh, is their handle on Instagram where you can find out classes as well. Uh, and you can drop down with my name for Pastry Chef Rose Lawrence to see what I'm teaching there. Other than that, I'm doing a lot of R&D with a couple of different groups. Um, I find myself cooking more and more Middle Eastern food uh, and looking to do more collaborations in that. It may take me abroad soon. Exciting. 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 Um, 
But again, like I just am searching out these opportunities to learn more and share more and try to give back to that like human factor. Um, and you can connect with me uh, through Instagram. I am at T Rose Lawrence, L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E. I post a lot of stuff that um, I'm doing, things I'm baking, things I found with different flowers. You can also see official events that Red Bread is participating in at Red Bread. Um, and then the website, if you want to order any preserves or cookies or our seasonal bread that we uh, introduced every change uh, and some gently used baking equipment. So if you're looking to buy banatons or cloches or any of that stuff in bulk, we're always like retiring our gently used things for cheap because again, we know that home bakers, these can be huge costs. Um, That is eatredbread.com. And uh, it's been such a blast. (laughs) Hey, I've had so much fun talking with you, Rosie, (laughs) and I'm like super excited to kind of follow follow along with you on instagram i'm glad i'm glad uh the person at the beginning of the the, the podcast uh who sent me that message sent me that message and yeah what a gift i you. like will take that with me forever and, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, well thank you so much rosie and i hope you have a great day you too mike bye bye go to sleep now baby more stories another Yeah.